Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. We're joined today by Alan Cumming. Alan currently is playing Macheath in the... Uh, production of the Three Penny Opera being done by Roundabout Theatre Company. He, of course, was on the Roundabout stage about seven years ago in Cabaret as the MC. He trained at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama and has done other productions, which we'll get into over time. Alan, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice Alan, the, the uh, director of the Three Penny Opera, Scott Elliott, mm-hmm. said something to the effect of, and I'm quoting from a, a, an article I'm reading, that the Three Penny Opera is the most intimidating thing I've ever done. That's Scott Elliott about the show. What about yourself? <laughs> uh, is, is, is this a piece of cake for you, or is this intimidating? No, it's not. It's, I mean, certainly in terms of the doing of it, the actual day-to-day doing of it, it's certainly not a piece of cake. It's very demanding vocally and physically, more vocally, because you have all these really difficult songs to sing, and, you know, you're playing a character who's very tense physically. You've got, you know, it's very... And also, who shouts a lot and, and has got to be quite big vocally. So, I'm, it's a, it's not a, a piece of cake. And but I mean, in terms of the dauntingness of coming into it, um, I, I I wasn't daunt, I wasn't daunted. I just kind of you know, I just kind of came to it thinking this is an interesting. Th- I mean, I kind of do that. I think of things as just as if there were new shows. If this were new plays I'm doing, although you know now of course now that. <laughs> I've seen how it's perceived in the world. I'm, I'm, pro- I'm probably more daunted by that because of everyone has such strong opinions about how they think it should be done. Well, so, what, was it a show that you were familiar with before, and what was your reaction when you were approached to play the role? I was familiar with it, not terribly familiar. I'd seen it a couple of times, and I just really like. I like. I think what attracted me and excited me about it was, it's a kind of a role that is this sort of um, dichotomy of someone who is really nasty and does these terrible things, and yet who is you know loved and is a very charismatic, and so he's a he's sort of archetypal antihero, and yet. There's also a reason for that. There's a there's a sort of a great political sort of um, uh, message behind that about and, and and he you know he although he does these terrible things he asks you to forgive him in the end and you and you sort of do in a way. So uh, it's a, that kind of challenge is what excites me about it. I mean I'm not really you know I think I, I played Hamlet once and I think that once you've done that you you overcome any sort of worries about. P- playing roles that other people um, think they know how to play them, or you know, the, 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 so because everybody has a theory about how to play Hamlet, I'm realizing now that everybody has a theory about how to play McKeith, <laughs> or everyone has a theory how, how about what the Three Penny Opera and Brecht has done, and I think it's really interesting about actually the play is done so infrequently, uh, especially here in America, and the the kind of there's a sort of a rather entrenched view about what Brecht, how Brecht would like it to be done and what what the what our production is doing that I'm finding really fascinating actually. And and I'm actually I th- I think that you know that if you if you stand back from it the only thing that if, and, and make it into one concise sentence about what Brecht wanted to do it would be to provoke people and to make them unsettled and to go away from the theater thinking about things and so that's I think that's the great measure of success about any production if it if it, if it jingles people up then I think that's a good thing. Well, the character of Mac Heath, also known in the song as Mac the Knife, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's a scoundrel. He's a, he's a murderer. He's a he's a rapist. He's a thief. He's a gang leader. But he's also very likable, as you point out, which is kind of a kind of a dichotomy. So, how do you approach the role in terms of coming off as basically a nice, likable guy that everybody seems to really like, but who wouldn't hesitate to murder his best friend if necessary? Um. I think people, you know, I think he's also a leader. He's a, he's the, he's the, he's the sort of, you know, the number one guy. And so it's, it's not unusual in life and in history for people who are leaders and often very nasty people uh, to be very charismatic. I mean, you have to be kind of pretty charismatic in order to be uh, a leader. I think it's part as one of those things. You know, it's obviously this president's a kind of a freak of nature in that respect. But if you look back to President Clinton, he was a very charismatic and. Um, you know, sexy man, and uh, and and I think uh, people who get to those sorts of positions have um, charisma, and so you know, I've just tried to make him. Also, I think danger is very uh, uh, attractive. People are people are attracted to people who are you know the tortured artist or the kind of 
screwed up person or the or the you know the bad boy people are attracted to those types because there's some danger there and so uh, I just kind of tried to play on those things really and you know and, and also he's quite a voracious uh, he has a voracious sexual appetite and that's his downfall really so you've got all these different things as kind of his job if you like is this terrible stuff that's actually kind of sometimes attractive to people because it's ooh you know daring and wicked well, and he, he certainly has no trouble attracting women, but also men, kind of both. Yeah, that's interesting. About, um, I mean, in the sh- in the in our production, there are uh, the whole gender things kind of thrown up in the air a little bit. I've I've been really kind of disappointed about how that's been perceived, actually, because it's not. I don't really see it as a a man and woman thing. Obviously, it is. I you know I I you know make out with various uh, people in the play, but. I mean, in a way, I think what it's, it, it, we, we wanted to kind of make a, a, a sort of level playing field that it wasn't really about he was, it's it's now being perceived that, you know, he's bisexual, McKeith or whatever, and all these kind of the cross-dressing people in it. And, the, you know, it, that's all been kind of sensationalized a little too much, I, I, I fear. And I think that point's been missed. I mean, for me, I think it was, it was, it was kind of a, you know, there he's amongst these thieves and whores and, people and they're all desperate they're all they all if they come into contact with them and he wants them they will he will have them and really it wasn't a a a, a, a boy girl thing actually the you know the boys that i kiss are um playing girls and the uh some of the girls i kiss are playing are, are playing also play boys in the, in the show so it was much more of a kind of a, a decision i think in in our production to to kind of Blur all that stuff, and to just make it, you know, sometimes my gang lead, my gang members are played by girls, and um, nobody seems to worry about that. But as soon as you have like a boy playing a whore, and I and I and I kiss them, I, I, I'm actually really disappointed about the way that's been. I think it's a really <laughs> sad thing for, just in terms of you know where we are politically and 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 socially politically that there's been such a hoo ha about that that aspect of our production. But part of that, when I talked to Scott Elliott during rehearsals, it's because you're in Studio 54, and he purposely was staging it, he said, because of Studio 54 and the notoriety of, of that that location when it was a club. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's like, uh, homages to that as well in, in the thing, but I, I, I'm still disappointed. I still think, you know, yeah, that's true. You know, they're, they're, they're little, you know, at the end we have the kind of the... The the, the 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 royal messenger coming down on a horse and a kind of, as a sort of a glittery go go boy uh, homage back to those days. I, 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 but it's not really that. I mean, it's it's more just the fact that uh, instead of those things being seen as like oh what an interesting idea to blur the gender or blur the sexuality and make it seem like this whole society would do anything. Uh, you know, all these people are. Uh, you know, it's really a, a, a satire on how, or, or not really a satire. What's the word? A, a, an allegory of how desperate people at the bottom are. Instead of all that, it's just become oh, Alan Cumming kisses a boy in you know day glow underwear, and I think that's really tragic. Well, you keep alluding to political issues, and certainly um, the Brecht Weil work in its day was was very political. And whenever a classic is brought back for a new generation, you look to see what it has to say today. What do you think really are the messages of Three Penny Opera seeing it in New York City, in America, in 2006? Well, first of all, I think the interesting thing about Brecht, I mean, all his work is is political, and I think you can't do it without a political agenda. Otherwise, there would be just, you know, it's just, it would be a kind of a weird collection of characters that don't make any sense. Um, first of all, doing it in, you know, he, he, doing it here on Broadway as well, you know, it's it's very unusual for a Brecht play to be done on Broadway. He, his whole theory about how to make change, he was a very political animal, was that you talk to the, uh, you talk to the people, the middle classes, that they're not the kind of middle classes you have in America, but the middle classes, the intelligent, uh, moneyed, um, educated uh, classes and they and if you convince them the people who come to the theatre basically if you convince them then you can actually affect real change now you know um, that would mean the people who come to to Broadway there if you can afford $111 or whatever for a ticket you're pretty affluent and uh, even if it's a a one-off trip you're certainly up there and you're not one of the poor so all the people we are talking to are are, uh, the people that Brecht originally was trying to reach 
and to jingle up and to, and, and to affect change. So, I mean, I think and just the very fact that these people are coming to this show and it's on a, on a Broadway stage, not off-Broadway somewhere or, uh, you know, even off-off-Broadway, that's a big political thing. And the fact that they're being told that, you know, they're terrible and they're uncaring and uh, they, they don't... Um, they don't have any kind of rights to to feel the way they're feeling. That's a huge political thing. I, on a more general level, I think the fact that the, a broader message is that the, the poor are not looked after, the the rich don't care for the poor, people who have do not care for the have-nots, that's definitely something that we were trying to uh, or, or, or highlight. But it's obviously in the light of what happened last year with Hurricane Katrina and the way that those poor people were abandoned by... By the society is you know shows that that message is really relevant still. I mean that's the that's the sad, but yet the kind of universal thing of this play is that the poor are st- trampled on. And and I think what Brecht is trying to do and what we what we are trying to do in the play is say if you were in that situation, you would be as desperate and would act in the same way as these people do. But there certainly is an irony about asking people to pay a hundred dollars or so to come in and get a message of telling them all the things they need to fix or maybe doing wrong. What Absolutely. do you sense the response is from, from audiences about that? I think they're very uh, jingled and upset. I, I mean, I think they're very, they're very, they are, it's a jagged, provoking, controversial evening. You know, I, I, and especially if you don't expect it, you know, a lot of the people who are coming to the play, they know Brecht and they know what to expect. But as I say, as he's so done, as he's done so infrequently, um, a lot of people, you know, you could come one night and see Tarzan and the next night you could come and see this and you'd be so freaked out. And I think, and I think, um, I think that's very difficult for people. I think they either they go with it and they're they're like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe these people are singing these songs at me and I can't believe this crazy, crazy production and all these weird people are, 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 are doing this. Or I think they'll think, wow, what the hell is going on here? I'm furious. Hmm. You, you alluded to it just a moment ago, but I do want to ask, this is an extremely eclectic production in its casting. It brings people with a wide range of experiences and indeed a couple of people who've never been on Broadway before and haven't necessarily acted on a stage before. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about how this company came together and I'm alluding to we certainly have you and Jim Dale who have great stage experience. We've got then on the other end uh, Cindy Lauper and and Nellie McKay who who are new to it. Yeah. How did how did that work for everybody? Um, I think it works. I mean, I, th- I I think it works in terms of the production. I think it works really well because it is a a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> but the process of coming together from oh. those different experiences, those different well, you places. know, all all those people. I mean, obviously, there are things about the fact that you're working with non-actors that are can be annoying. Uh, but you just have to be patient. We had to be patient, and not just—I don't mean just like with Cindy and Nelly. I mean like where there's a lot of people in the ensemble and things, and you know, and even <laughs> it's also—it <laughs> can be really annoying working with people who are actors a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's certain things that were just you know things they didn't understand or know. And uh, if I went into their field, there would be things I wouldn't understand or know. It wasn't really ever an issue when it came down to anything important about you know the emotion and the and the. And the feeling of it, I think all, the biggest thing is that they're all, all the people who are in the play who uh, who haven't t- much experience are, are very seasoned and experienced and charismatic performers in whichever field they come from, and that's what makes it so interesting. Because in a way, this is not a play actually; it's a kind of a cabaret, a series of uh, vignettes and songs and little kind of um, diatribes that are f- strung together in this in this uh, uh, three penny opera so it's very presentational the style of performing it's very in Scotland you'd call it front of cloth um, and uh, you know down to the front and shout kind of thing and and, uh, and and so in a way having those people in a, in a I think that's what was clever about Scott's uh, notion for the whole thing it's clever to have those sorts of people in it because it may, it highlights the those aspects of the play it makes it even less like a play it makes it more kind of uh, um, disjointed and jagged and I, I, I really like that well it's interesting I was not at all familiar with Nellie Mackay before seeing the show yeah. and I had met her about a month or so ago at a, at a press thing and she's very uh, enchanting I mean she really yeah, she is, is very disarming yes. and when I saw her on stage I've seen the show twice now 
she just comes across as so real and natural, uh, even though she's never been on the stage before, at least not as, a, as an actress. She's been a performer, yes. you know, a singer. And Cindy Lauper, I was very amazed by her as well, because certainly I know her, you know, her rock experience, and she yeah. comes across quite well. So, you know, Scott's instincts, I think, in this case, have brought some interesting people to, to the play, so uh, to speak. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the, in terms of he casts really well. He's very clever about reading people's essences. Nelly is, she's not an actress, uh, but she is so perfect for this part. It's She is a kind of a Polly Peachum. She's a kind of enchanting little, you know, naive, uh, seemingly naive uh, kind of pixie. And yet she's also got a real, uh, you know, um, uh, irony and satire and bite to her as well. So she's absolutely perfect for this role. And, and we should say for our audience that she, Nellie McKay, plays Polly Peachum, who's, probably, who's, yeah. who's the daughter, and she ends up being your wife, being McKeith's wife. You, yeah, you, you she, get married. she's this kind of, you know, it's a sort of crazy... She's the crazy, uh, you know, cute, innocent ingenue who falls for the the the, the guy, the, the nasty guy, and and then you realise that she's not really the, that little ingenue. She's kind of a little more knowing than than any of us thought, and and she kind of, in a funny way, contributes to to Max um to Max downfall by being so good at running his business once he has to go away. <laughs> it's very interesting. Well, that's what we're doing currently in 2006. Yeah. Where did it all start for Alan coming back in Scotland? <laughs> Growing up as a kid in Scotland, uh, far from Broadway, how did you get the show business bug to begin with? Um, <laughs> well, I well, well, I sort of think there's two things. I, I, not, not, we did, I, I grew up in, a, in the middle of a forest, really. I didn't, uh, you know, there was no sort of uh, examples for me to look at about wanting to become an actor, but... I, I, I realized I, I spent a lot of time on my own as a child, and so I, I played on my own. I kind of I used to run around the forest and make up stories and play act. So I think that, your, your father worked on an estate. Yeah, he's right? a for, my dad was a forester, mm -hmm. so so that's why we lived in the forest. And uh, I, I and my brother was quite a lot you know older than me, so I, I spent a lot of time making things up. And then when I was at primary, um, what do you call it, elementary school? Um, I was at this tiny little school. Uh, there was like fifty pupils, and um, the local Dundee Repertory Theatre was the nearest theatre. And um, the, they had a theatre and education group, and, and they came to my school and did a play in the dinner hall, and uh, about the Highland Clearances, about Bonnie Prince Charlie, and, and the aftermath of all that. And I and it was all it was in the round, and it's so I just remember being so enchanted and mesmerised by by them performing so near me and. Uh, them really seeing that they were actually really believing that those they were those people and afterwards I saw the actors uh, you know we said we got to meet them and I must have been about eight or nine or something and I, I saw them packing up their bags with the props and costumes and the trunks and putting them into their little van and going off to the next school and I just remember thinking oh I'd love to do that mm -hmm. of course I'm not doing that but um, I'm kind of doing it <laughs> but, but you ultimately went to university for for theater, for, oh, I went for to I went to drama school. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I had yes, yeah, but it was more of a. You know, it's more of a, it, the it, Royal it, Scottish it. Academy of Music yeah. and Drama. Yeah, that's it. And coming out of there, what struck me is in in the bio material I've seen, you ultimately started and found some initial success in a, a comedy duo. Yeah, kind of like parallel uh, career things happened. I. I you know, I left drama school and I started uh, working in plays and in a little bit of television, and but you know a lot of theatre. But I also, kind of squashed in between all that, a strange thing happened that uh, when I was at drama school, me and uh, another boy called Forbes Masson, in order to uh, well, we actually made it up for this college cabaret. You know, the, the, the first years are to do a cabaret for the final years in our, in, in our first term or something, and we made up these characters called Victor and Barry, who were sort of um, slightly surreal. Both, 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 due to the fact that uh, that both of us had uh, newly come to Glasgow, and so there were kind of these uh, West End of Glasgow kind of amateur theatre types, um, and 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 um, and then we and then after that we did them a few times in like cabaret clubs uh, to get our equity cards because if you got enough contracts, if you got paid enough times to do it, you could get your equity card that way, and it was kind of a sneaky way to to have your equity card so that when you went for a job in a play they wouldn't you know it was much harder to get one if you didn't have your cards because they only had so few to give away when and so so that's why we did it but it kind of took off in this really ridiculous 
extraordinary way where we suddenly became these kind of um, <laughs> like big huge stars in Scotland and this, these Victor and Barry were a kind of a emblematic of the 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 change that was taking place in Glasgow and Scotland, the, the Glasgow was all being kind of tarted up and it became European city of culture and it had all these uh, mon- all this money poured into it and it became very cultured again and uh, you know it was it was kind of all the the industry that had gone from it this is now being replaced by this kind of by a new kind of culture, cultural sort of industry and Victor and Barry were sort of mascots of that in a funny sort of way because they, they were um weird and wacky and part of that but at the same time they were reminding everyone of, of the past and, and um, of, of how kind of slightly pretentious uh, it, it was as well that this was happening so it was a really funny just thing that we just hit this this idea at a time when, when all this was happening and also when the kind of stand-up comedy boom was happening in, in, uh, in Britain then what, what era was this? The eighties? Like uh, yeah we started doing them like in the air in like uh, we went to drama school in 82 so I mean we first did it at drama school in late 82 or early 83 and mm. so we left even before we graduated from drama school in 85 we were already doing it outside quite a lot and then we started in about you know always at the Edinburgh Festival and things and then we went to London and then we toured Australia and then you know we'd always we did, we'd do TV things with our own TV show and stuff like that and it just was it just got out of control actually I just it, it, in a way it was kind of started to get in the way with, with my acting thing uh, you know, I would, it was always kind of, as I say, parallel. But um, sometimes, you know, you'd have to commit to doing it somewhere, and or, or or we'd be asked to do things that I was like, ooh. And then I remember what happened when I just thought, well, I have to stop this. Was we? I was in London doing a play, and uh, we'd we'd made an album, and um, so we were going to have this press conference in Glasgow. To so I flew back one day to to Glasgow to, from London to do the press launch, and um, and then I. We that are, are, are you know on the news on the BBC news on the Scottish television the independent television news at the end of the you know what you call it in America like the, the kind of funny thing at the end where they always say something like, oh you know this puppy can you do were tricks. the kicker <laughs> you were the kicker yeah. is that what you yeah, call right, it yeah right, right. And, we, and we and we um in, in Britain you call it and now and now something on a lighter note uh, we were the we were on the news that our album was being released and I just actually found that I just thought that was terrible I just thought. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like that at all. I thought it was. I thought that's too much. We shouldn't be doing this. I wonder what your professors at the Royal Academy would have thought. What, oh, what, what did they think? <laughs> they, uh, I mean, in a way, the thing about Victor and Barry was that it was so sort of it was slightly esoteric as well as being. Uh-huh. It was very Scottish because Scotland's got this kind of uh, thing where uh, you know, sort of vaudeville is the nearest thing you have to describe it. But we have a, a kind of a tradition of. Um, very kind of witty and literary sort of stuff but but done kind of very uh surreally but also very you know out out front and and kind of stand up y in a way that whole kind of style of acting i think is something that is that's what's kind of fueled me in a lot of the roles i've done later so i think they really liked it i mean we were quite sort of we kind of you know where we started off as being kind of you know the literati's darlings and then we kind of went a bit more mainstream and then i thought no let's stop it well, the, the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama sounds like a very stuffy sort of a school. What, what would your professors think of you as Macheath or as the MC in Cabaret? It, it somehow it's not quite Shakespeare, is it? Um, well, no, you mean the first time I ever saw uh, Three Penny Opera was at the Royal Scottish Academy was of Music really? and Drama. Yeah, uh-huh. the, the, the year above me did it. Um, so, I mean, there were very, it's a, you know, in, in Europe, there, it's not, you know, in, and certainly in Scotland, they do a lot of you know we have a lot more kind of um, literary sort of minds to plough in terms of what we can do and right. so Brecht we, in, 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 during my course we started off like you know doing all the Greeks and stuff and then and then uh, and obviously Shakespeare was a big part of it but also was you know so was Brecht so was all you know Arthur all the went through all the kind of um, uh, 20th century stuff Chekhov right to you know Beckett and everything so we were it was very kind of a wide ranging thing so I think they would I mean whether they would like the interpretations of my Mike Heath or MC or, or any of these other things I don't know <laughs> so in the midst of Victor and Barry you are increasingly doing theatre work of note you're touring with the RSC touring and then ultimately playing at the National how how was the evolution there and indeed coming from Scotland into England and doing the work there oh well what happened was, um, it was an interesting thing because there was a, there was this you know it's a very much a thing in Scotland and I'm, I'm not sure if it is so much now because everyone travels so much more within Europe now. 
Um, and it is possible that you can live anywhere, really. But then it was very much a thing that if you did well, if you were doing well, then you inevitably you would have to move to London. And, um, and I suppose in a kind of way, it's like a, like you know, if you if you here, you either move to New York or Los Angeles, um, depending on your bent. But uh, so I uh, was kind of toying with the idea. But then what happened? Uh, well, I mean, it's scary. I find London quite a scary place. It's, it's so sprawling and big, and uh, you know. And also, there's a kind of a slight um, thing about being Scottish in London. You're all, it's, you know, you're, all, you're always kind of like slightly patted on the head and slightly patronised. Still, <laughs> it's a kind of you know, we are, we are, a, we are a persecuted nation <laughs> after all. But uh, what happened with me was I did this really interesting German play, another German play. You see, I'm, it all comes around. I love the Germans uh, mm. by Manfred Karg called uh, "The Conquest of the South Pole." which I did at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh uh, in 1988. And that was, it was really good. I really enjoyed that. It was crazy as well. <laughs> and, How was uh, it crazy? Well, it's such a sort of odd, it was about these group of unemployed boys who um, would decided to, make, to have a game and um, it, of pretending that they were going to the South Pole and they followed the route of Shackleton uh, when, he, when he went to the South Pole and he you know, ultimately... Um, uh, died, and um, so and they would do this in the in the, in the uh, upstairs of, on the roof of one of their apartments where the washing was all hung up, and so the white sheets became you know the icebergs and, and the uh. snow and everything and all this stuff, and it was just kind of bizarre, sort of surreal, but also very tender story. It was a really great play. He's a great writer, um, and um, so that transferred, uh, it got picked up and it transferred to the royal court in London. And played there for a while, and I got nominated for an Olivia Award, and and so that kind of uh, you know I was a, a, a most promising newcomer, <laughs> which is such a funny award, um, and I didn't win, but then I but uh, so so that was the, that was my kind of uh, entree into into London, and it's quite a splash, and so that after that I you know I, I actually foolishly thought that I really wanted to do work. I, I find it. In Britain, you know, if you work in repertory and things, you, you you do quite short runs, and I feel you're only just you're just getting to grips with the piece and getting to grips with the other actors, and it's over. It's only a few months, and so I actually thought it would be nice to go to um, and join a, a company that, where you'd be with it for a long, long time. So that's why I, I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company, but I didn't like that. It wasn't for me. I, I realised so that was a mistake. <laughs> Well, it, it seems like 1993 was a watershed year. It was the, the year of the final performance of Victor and Barry, who finished up at the London Palladium, which is a pretty big way to go out. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And then you played Hamlet, and that is the year that you first played the MC That's in right. Cabaret. Which came first of those two, do you recall? Hamlet. So to tell us first about the Hamlet. Well, um... It was with uh, the guy who directed that play, The Conquest of the South Pole. He was called Stephen Unwin. He is called Stephen Unwin. And I'd also done a, another, oh my God, another German play. <laughs> at Bristol Old Vecca with him called uh, Knickers by Carl Sternheim. It was great. So I then did, I forgot. We know that is the underpants over Do here, you? we call is that it. What you call yep. it? Uh, um, so I, God, I realize I've done so many weird German plays. Um, this has been a revelation. <laughs> it's just just dawning on you now. It is. I wow. mean, I knew like Cavalry and Three Penny Opera, and I sp I, but I'd forgotten these ones. I'm so old, you see. I, I just, uh, I'm glad you've got my <laughs> printout from my website here. I wouldn't. I would never know what, what, what was going on. Um, Hamlet, not a German play. Hamlet, not a German play. Um, I so Steve uh, asked me to play Hamlet, and interestingly enough, I was going to do Miss Julie with Tilda Swinton um, f with him. And uh, I was really looking forward to that. I've always wanted to play Jean in, in Miss Julie. And uh, I nearly have a couple of times, but it's not worked out yet. And then Tilda couldn't do it for some reason. I can't remember why. And so then he asked me to play Hamlet. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, so it was very much, uh, uh, I, you know, obviously if you're going to play Hamlet, you, you, you feel this weight of everyone's opinion, a bit like playing McKeith. You feel uh, the weight of everyone thinking they know how to do it and thinking that... Um, got curious about what you're going to do and I think the trap that you fall into as an actor and as a director is that you try to do something different just for the case of just for the sake of being different and not just about how you truly feel in your heart and your guts about it so it was a very sort of spare production it was kind of you know uh, um, it had kind of modern aspects but it was very you know very simple um, this amazing uh, woman called Eleanor Braun played my mum do you know Eleanor? Sure. And so I, that was a big thrill for me. She, she's this, you know, stunning actress, and I loved, I loved her. 
and uh, I, I, I just thought that Hamlet was this. When you, when, if you take it down, that's what I always do with plays. You know, like in a way with the with McKeith, I've uh, I've thought, you know, he's, this man's a sex addict. At the at the uh, that's it. That's his downfall. He's a sex addict. And uh, so with Hamlet, I thought this man is a student. He wants to be at college. He's been forced to come back to for the funeral of this of this father who was he didn't like, who was a very, he was a very uh, dark, harsh, distant father, and now. Uh, you know he's he's got to stay a bit, and his mother is starting to fuck his uncle, and his girlfriend's being all weird with him, and now this ghost appears, and he's you know, and and I, it's, I for me it's like this man, this poor little kind of you know sickly sickly spoilt boy is having a nervous breakdown, and that's what I that's how I I played him, that's how I thought of him, and. Um, it, you know, it caused quite a controversy, I have to say, <laughs> because I was doing him quite like. I mean, actually, I thought it was hilarious and brilliant. Was I remember? <laughs> I mean, it got this kind of reputation as kind of rock and roll or something because I was I was very I, I did him in my own voice. I I you know I was I was very I was very skinny. I was very emotional. I was you know I I wept lots and I was I was very lost in the part. Actually, I have to say and. Uh, so it's kind of it made it quite exciting, I think, because I was obviously I was obviously quite on edge myself, and I think that's when I, you know, part of the whole thing I've realised as an actor is you let the audience see you, you let them see a part of you that that character is appropriate to, and that's and that's why they're more interested in you. So that was the part I let them see, and uh, and it um, and then and then and then because the, there was a slightly you know a couple of the moderny aspects of it. And then, and the fact that I spoke in my own accent—that was kind of, in, especially when we came to London—that caused a bit of consternation. But there was one, the, the the bloke in the Guardian, I thought said the most. And I've never forgotten this. He said, um, "It's." He said, "Alan coming, you know, speaks the uh, lines as if he's saying them for the first time." And I was like, uh, "Isn't that what acting is about?" <laughs> Good <laughs> just, point. You know, I just thought that was so. Uh, it, it really opened my eyes about how dopey people are and how and that whole thing about having not being able to see beyond um, the end of their noses in some ways about 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 the classics you know it's interesting hearing you talking about these various productions that you've been in in, in Scotland and in England because in this country we think of you really as the MC and cabaret mm-hmm. it's how we first got to know you yeah. and when you did that show here that's seven, eight years ago. You had already been doing it for several years in London at the Donmar Warehouse. Oh well, I'd only done no, I done it. Uh, I only did it for like four months, actually. Oh really? Yeah, because yeah. what happened was actually this is the crazy thing. When I did, I did the tour of Hamlet, uh-huh. and I was very sniffy about doing Cabaret. I hadn't wanted to do it when Sam uh, Mendes asked me. It. I was like, you know, I'm playing Hamlet. I don't do musicals. <laughs> and uh, and then he kind of we had another meeting, and I, I turned it down. He said again, and we talked about how the, you know, and I was all about grit and reality and everything and um, so then that's why then in a way that's how the character and how that production kind of came about was because I just thought I'm not gonna I don't want to do something that's sort of you know I want it to be real and, and kind of sort of more uh, true to what was actually going on at that time and I read all those books by Christopher Sherwood about his time there but anyway um, I, so I, I did Hamlet and it went on tour and then it came to London at the Donmar warehouse and then underneath when I was performing Hamlet at night I was rehearsing the MC during the day and then like Hamlet finished on the th- Saturday and uh, Cabaret started previewing on the thurs- Thursday so yeah. Sam, Sam Mendes the uh, director he came to you he, he sought you out for the part yeah yeah and what what persuaded you to do it at first you said you didn't really want you were doing Hamlet um, just because, uh, well, you know, I thought I was going to be too tired, and I indeed was. I was, I was kind of, you know, really the combination of doing Hamlet and then Cabaret for four months. I was really, I kind of went under for a while. I was just completely, um, yeah, messed up. But, uh, but it was more. I, I just, I was very. I done done musicals, and I sort of in London anyway. Musicals are not, you know, in America you're much better at musicals. You 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 respect them more. You're better at them, and you, it's just sort of um, it's your art form. It's you know I think it's the American. When you say you, you mean I mean American people. The the, the audience or the, uh, the theatre community. Uh, theatre community. You know, p- uh, people are more better trained here for doing musicals, and uh, musicals are much more a part of your, you know, much more part of your culture, and uh, you know they're slightly frowned upon in in, in Britain a bit, and they're slightly seen as. Um, 
more lowbrow. And uh, so I, I had that, um, I had that prejudice myself. Is what I'm saying. And then I, then I, and so I went. I said that to Sam, and then he said, "Well, you know, we can really make this a, a special thing and do it in a way that would that you know." He said, "I don't want to do it and make it like you know, sing along a Hitler kind of you know thing." <laughs> you know what I mean? There's the danger with that show to make it very much like uh, that. And so, in a way, that's uh, you know, I'm always nervous of tackiness. And um, in the theatre, it's uh, you know it's quite prevalent. And uh, although I I love toying with it, but um, it's a fine line to 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 go along. And we should explain for our listeners that when you did the show the first time, the Donmar is a small theatre. It's people who are familiar oh, with the production it's about the size from here. Of the studio. People who are familiar with the production here saw what it grew into. Yeah. So I'm curious to ask you, what the experience was doing it in the Donmar and then several years later coming yeah. to America to to work in it in, in a different scale. Well, it was really interesting because we, yeah, we did it for about four months or something, four and a bit months. And then that was that. So that finished in like March or so of April of 1994. And it wasn't until 98 that we actually started it again. And, and it was a different, you know, it was the same production, but, you know, I was the only actor who was the same. And Sam in New York was now joined by Rob Marshall, who as co-director, and Rob choreographed it. And so you know, the costumes and things, the whole feel of it was the same, but uh, it was a bit bigger. I mean, there's two things really. In a way, we were doing it in America, doing it in New York, which has a much more of a kind of um, uh, connection, I think, with that, with that story, with that sort of. Um, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, in terms of the Jewish aspect of it, it's much bigger Jewish population and much more kind of. Um, much more conscious of Jewish culture and and uh, and Jewish history, so it felt more pertinent and and um, connecting uh, in in a way. And also, um, we were doing it in a place where the musical is more um, the musical is more uh, of a you know a, 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 an art form, and and the people certainly were much more. Um, kind of, uh, it was it was the, the the way that it became a bigger thing was I I felt was like could could have been a scary tacky thing but actually because you're in such good hands with such experienced people because they're so much better at musicals here uh, that was really uh, great I think Rob Marshall is a genius actually but a very very clever man and in, and 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 for for me um, those four years I really changed as a person and I think I came to the part again at a time in my life where I was much more sort of comfortable with some of the aspects of it that I wanted that I felt were important and to be I was just better at, I was much better in here when I did it here than in London I think in London I was a bit more a bit more um, cut off from it in some sort of way and I think I was more comfortable with myself and therefore I was more I think when you're comfortable with yourself you're more able to provoke because you're 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 you're, you're a sort of a an impenetrable kind of um, thing, and and so you, so nobody's going to kind of turn the arrows out and point them back to you. Oops! Oops! <laughs> Banged my mic there when I said that. I think it would be interesting to uh, maybe hear a song from that production, the production you were in here in New York. You want to pick one of the songs that you performed in the show, and maybe kind of set up how it worked. Explain it. Um, well, the reason I, I've chosen I don't care much. The reason I've chosen that is that I hear other songs so often, like I. Often when I go into bars and things, people put, or you know, even people's houses, they put on a CD of cabaret. <laughs> it's all kind of scary. It's nice actually now to be doing uh, the three opera that uh, three penny opera rather uh, that I have a new kind of uh, song. That, like when I go places now, sometimes they put on Mac the Knife, and I actually quite but probably enjoy the it. Bobby Darren version, yes, not, not, totally, uh, yeah. not the original, not the Darge like one that we do. Uh, no, uh, so it's quite nice to have a new theme tune in a funny way, but. Um, I Don't Care Much is an interesting song because it wasn't actually written for the musical of Cabaret. It was written by Kandra Neb, obviously, but it was actually written, and this is why I love it so much, It's it, it was written as a bet at a party because they were saying, someone was asking about how they write songs and how they how they did it, and how, and they said, we could just write one here. And they said, no, you couldn't. And said, yes, yeah, we could just do one right now. And then and they said, oh, what, what, will we, uh, what will we make the song about? And, and, and the guy went, I don't care much. <laughs> and so, so they wrote a song called "I Don't Care Much," which is this beautiful song. And it was only—I think it was like recorded by Barbara Streisand or some. Well, I know it was by her and maybe some other people, but it was like one of those songs that just they'd written and it was floating about and people could record it. And then, um, 
Sam um, decided that uh, she'd do in, in a bizarre way this is a terrible terrible story I'm going to tell you now we were going to do this scene when Sally Bowles was going to be dressed as a man and the MC was going to be dressed as a woman when they, when they did uh, Money together in, in the London production so I got uh, you know dollied up in this dress at the fitting and then we decided to not do that in terms of the show but Sam was so into the idea of me being in a dress he just thought it was such a great image that we that we put this song in and, and put me uh, I sang it wearing a dress and uh, so this very you know superficial and very suspect kind of uh, idea uh, actually I think was a really powerful moment in the play because it's during the sort of the decay in the second half and when the, the, the you know the, the, the drug intake and the kind of debauchery is obviously getting out of control and the and the and the uh, the Nazis are coming, um, and this this uh, kind of skinny, drug-addled, damaged person who's about to be carted off to the camp sings this song, uh, saying he doesn't care much. From the revival of Cabaret, that's Alan Cumming, and uh, I don't care much. Alan, you were taking on a role that had been so identified with Joel Grey, who originated back in 1966. How did you approach it to make it your own part? Um, well, I certainly didn't think about making it my own part. I mean, I just thought I just did it the way I just thought it should be. I mean, I, I think that's the thing. Again, I didn't really ever think when I when I was in London, I never thought about Joel Grey. I never. I mean, he was the man in the film. I didn't mm -hmm. ever. I don't. I wasn't even sure if I knew that he'd done it on stage. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I was just didn't want to be like some of the tragic people I'd seen doing it in Britain. <laughs> but I'm very. As I'm very un musical I'm very illiterate in terms of musicals I don't I, I, I you know I, I've I, I've obviously you know I'm a bit better at it now but I was very much from from the straight in inverted commas theatre uh, I, I didn't really know musicals I certainly didn't know a lot of the American ones and and if I did know them there would probably be things like the Three Penny Opera I, I would have seen rather than you know Annie Say so. I I um I didn't. I just and after again, like the whole thing of I think when you play Hamlet, every actor you know every actor who's ever played Hamlet has to deal with the fact that you know I like for example when I I remember like after me in London the next Hamlet after me was uh, Ray Fiennes' one, and I remember they had a thing in the Sunday paper with you know the last ten Hamlets and what they'd how they'd done it and their interpretation and so you're just bombarded by these uh, memories of other people's interpretations of the role that you're about to do so I think if you can get over that and make it your own then you know you don't really you, you, you go into a place where you don't really I just sort of cut myself off and don't really think about it I mean with now with McKeith I know that the Raul Julia one was very I don't you know uh, everyone liked him I think and or he was did a, some sort of striking thing but I didn't make any attempt to go and see it or to you know emulate or be different from it I just just tried to make him the person I think he is well had, had you seen any of these these productions or had you seen Joel Grey in the movie I'd seen the movie uh -huh. but I didn't after like after, when I knew I was going to do it I didn't watch it mm -hmm. didn't want to have it in your mind yeah and it's so different the movie is so different that's the thing about Cabaret the, the transition from the stage to the film is so uh, a different beast Obviously, Cabaret here in the U.S. was a huge launching point for you and brought you extraordinary attention. And it's it's almost ironic that as a result of that, it seems you've only made it back to the stage a few times since then. Um, and uh, two of the three times, uh, most notably, uh, have been with the Roundabout Theatre Company. Yeah. But uh, I'm just wondering about the, the the choices of stage roles and, and the ability of getting back to the stage um, since, obviously, there's been television opportunity and film opportunity that's been, been so enormous for you. Um, guess the next up was Design for Living, and how did, how did that come to pass? Um, well, that was one of those things where, you know, after Cabaret, I was so exhausted, and I... I do these things and I realise in my life what I I get so involved I think in the theatre you know it's so overwhelming and such a big commitment it so becomes all of your life it's not just like doing a movie where you can go oh yes hi go in shoot a few scenes go home have dinner and a couple of weeks later you know it's just it's such an all, all for me anyway an all encompassing and overwhelming thing so it has to be something really that you feel passionate about to do it and you can't do it very often I mean I wish I did do more theatre but then you know the runs are always have to be a, a certain length of time if you do them in a thing like in, in Broadway and you know and and, and, you, and I don't know I just it's not really the combination of that and, and my inability to do 
I, it takes me a long time to decide about it. I mean, with with films and things, I'm like, oh, yes, okay. I'm much less fussy um, in some ways. But uh, with, with theatre, I, I don't know. So, that, so I was looking to do something again. It had been a few years, and I really thought I'd love to do something else. And Design for Living is a play that I've, I've always loved. I, and, and it's because I'm, I think I'm drawn to things in the theatre that are difficult, uh, you know, they're, and then contentious. And it was about issues that I was really interested in, and you know, it's about a th- it's about two men and a woman who and a woman who live as a, a trio, as a threesome, and in various forms, and then ultimately together at the end. And it was it was so ahead of its time, and, and in a way, I was really intrigued by the way that, you know, do, for example, in the thirties, like like in the in the time in Berlin where where uh, Three Penny Opera was written and Cabaret is based. It was a, it was a, we, there was so much more liberal and forward thinking than we are now in terms of ideas and politics and and sexuality. So, design for a living kind of deals in a no cowardly way, but yet a very daring way with the idea of sexuality as being more of a fluid thing than than I think we are all uh, led to believe it is nowadays. So that that really interested me, and that's why I did it. And we should say, not to suggest that you went totally over to just doing films and television, uh, as an actor, in this following cabaret, you've now written and directed one film. Yes. Um, I see that you've directed another. And, of course, you wrote a novel in here as well. I did, yeah. I, was writing, I think the novel came out um, just after... Um, oh, a couple of, I was writing the novel... Due, I remember writing the novel... Well, it took me a long time to write the novel, but I remember I, my, my friend's ranch in Ohio was writing the novel, and, I, and that's when I decided to do Design for a Living. But the I'm curious about the impulse to start creating your own work instead of just interpreting oh. the work of others. Oh, well, I think I've always said that, you know, because Victor and Barry, for example, as we talked about earlier, was something that was self-generating Forbes, and I wrote that, and we did a lot of things. We wrote some other work. We wrote some other things for the theatre, and we wrote a TV. We actually went on and wrote a, t- a sitcom. Uh, which is, I think it's short sometimes on um, in, in in America called the High Life. It's about flight attendants. It was really an, another crazy thing. So you know, I'd, I've always done that, and um, I really enjoy doing that. I miss it, and then of course I get too frustrated with it because you just you have to deal with all these crazy people. So it's nice just to go back and be a baby and <laughs> be paid to do something that you you know. So I I I I, I bob back and forward between that, but yeah, doing. Um, you know, doing the anniversary party with Jennifer, uh, Jason Lee, she and I wrote and directed and, and were in it. Uh, it was a really great thing because it was it was it was kind of self generating work, but we did it in our own terms and we wrote about, you know, a, it, we wrote about how we felt as adults about relationships, and that's nice to, when you get. But everything worked, you know, the 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 process of doing it, the people we did it with, and and the and the content of it was all really. Exactly how we wanted to to be, and and also you know people liked it. That was nice too. So that's really good. And my novel again was, and I mean I suppose in a way what I'm saying is that as I've grown older and more, I had more choices. I've I, I've in in the work that I'm really passionate about, and you know I, I, a lot of my film work I am really passionate about. But there's obviously a lot of films I do just because you know they're there and uh, I want to do something nice and easy and for lots of money. And I'm not as passionate about them. I still, you know, do them to the best of my ability and everything. But you know what I mean. But in the work that I'm passionate about, I'm, I, 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 it's about subjects and and issues that I I really feel strongly about. And like the anniversary party was about relationships and how difficult they are. My novel was about how hard it is to deal with the feelings of wanting to be a father when you don't when you're not in a conventional relationship, and just about how. Uh, you know the, how your friends become your family uh, as you as you grow older and as you travel, and then um, and now this last film I I, I didn't write it. Uh, the really great guy called Thomas Gallagher wrote it. Uh, is called uh, Suffering Man's Charity, and it's about obsession. And uh, it's more of a dark. It's it's a very dark comedy actually, but it's at the heart of it is this really awful, awful obsession, um, un- unrequited obsession that this man has for a younger man. Well, you have a website, alancumming.com, with the www in front of that. Yes. And you have various sections on your theater work, your film work, your television work, and all mm-hmm. that. There are two sections I want to ask you about. Okay. One is Alan Cumming, the sex symbol. The other mm-hmm. is Alan Cumming, the boy next door. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of uh, at cross purposes. Tell well, see, well, what, what is that all about? Well, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's the point, that's did you say? That's the point, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, this, I, I, when I made the website, you know, I... Um, I just thought I was sort of oh how dull everyone's websites are always you know 
here's me with my dog and everything. And, and I actually just, I, I thought I would have some fun with it. I'd make an art project for myself. So what I did was I kind of made all these sections that were kind of a, all other people's perceptions of me kind of <laughs> thing. And mm. so, like, there's a section called The Renaissance Man where it's all, like, all the things I do that are not, you know, to, to do with acting. That's like, you know, when I've designed wallpaper or, you know, written a preface for a book, all those things are there. And then the sex symbol thing is just about, about you know, like, sexy pictures or, you know, things I've done that are dealing with more issues of sexuality and... uh or just things I've said about because I think I actually think and partly because of cabaret and how sort of provocative it was uh, sexually and everything and how I was perceived in that way I actually think that I I, I, I realised I'd sort of tapped into a vein of uh, there's a lot of shame about sexuality and I, I, I think that's terrible I think I really do I think it's such a sad thing and I um so I bizarrely in my life I'm so lucky that I've been able to live my life without shame, or to get to a point where I can live my life without shame. And I'm able to and people ask me things and I, and they seek my opinion about all this. And so I I I I'm sort of feel a slight ambassador <laughs> for sex or sex or comfort <laughs> with sex and okay. uh, stuff. So that's what that section is about. And the boy next door is also because I'm just you know I'm a little shy little person as well. And um I you know I'm. I've got, I, I, you know, I, I, I go around wearing specs and a hat because I, I, I don't want people to see my mohawk and, and uh, right now and realize it's me. Well, you're, you're wearing the mohawk for the role. I'm wearing mohawk for Mac the knife, yeah. And it would be noticed on the street, I would think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's actually because I'm starting quite a trend. So I'm seeing a lot of mohawks. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> I know, it is. <laughs> Well, uh, as we as we conclude now, you're in uh, Three Penny Opera for another little bit more than a month till the middle of June. Yes. Because uh, it's a limited run. It's a limited run, but I think we might be extending a wee bit longer. Ah, I was going to ask you what you're going to do next. If the, if the run extends, that answers that. But, yeah, but it's but only going to extend a wee bit. But then beyond this, what's beyond next? Beyond this, I don't know, you know. I'm thinking I'd... Uh, I've got, like, I'd have to promote my film and... I have some films coming out and stuff like that, and, you know, and you have to do that kind of work. And I, with the film that I've directed, I really... Uh, I, I want to have the time to be able to travel with it and to make sure that it's sort of treated properly. And uh, you know, it's, it's very—I'm very passionate about this film. It's very odd and weird, and I'm—I I'm, want to protect it. But I don't know. I, I'm sort of um, t- toying with. I, I kind of think I'd like to do more theatre. I, 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 and any real burning desire? Um, well, I—I I, I was actually just talking about it last night. I really would like to play Jean and Miss Julie. And I, I, I think that's such a great play, and I, and uh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do Richard the Third, and there's, I'm actually coming into an age now where I feel there's a lot more parts that are exciting to me, and I, I, I'm more. Uh, I think I'd be more interesting, and in, hmm. I'm more sort of, you know, I'm forty, uh, forty-one, so you know, I'm not a little boy anymore, and uh, and I think I can give the impression of, of not being a little boy anymore. Finally. Uh, so you know that that's exciting me, and I, I, but I really don't know. I, I kind of also would like to just go to my house in the country and chill out for a, a bit. I'm, I'm hoping that I, I'm able to do that for a wee while. Well, then I think it's a good point to wrap up and to say, Alan Cumming, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you. It's been really nice. Thanks so much, Alan. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding all of our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online on demand for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.